Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. I hope that you all survived the holidays and that you're having a peaceful break with your kids home from school. Good luck with that. I'm sure it is a balance of fun and peace and chaos and destruction. No, (laughs) Um, it's been really nice having the girls home, but this holiday season, these festivities have not been without their challenges. Let's see. At one of the Hanukkah parties we went to, Freya apparently had free reign with a bowl of pomegranate seeds. I didn't realize this until we came home and she vomited up the pomegranate seeds. Now, with Prader-Willi syndrome, which is Freya's diagnosis for those of you new to the podcast, anything like vomiting, diarrhea, stomach pain can be a very alarming sign. We've been to the emergency room a few times because of this, especially in the beginning when we were trying to figure it out figure it all out. But it seems that Freya is one who can have these symptoms without it being too alarming. Still, the fact that she ate so many pomegranate seeds that they came up like that was a sure sign of my lack of supervision. Then we had a beautiful solstice fire in our backyard on Friday and all went well that night until there were a lot of kids there. They were all having fun. Everyone was getting along. And then the next morning I heard our friend leave and Freya get up. And then I realized that I had left some of the food out from dinner, and I wasn't sure that our friend had closed the kitchen door when he left. So I made my way downstairs, and sure enough, there was Freya with her hand in a pot of brown rice. The food was obviously not bad for her, but the act of sneaking food or serving herself is one that we can't allow, given the characteristics of Prader-Willi syndrome. So then later that day, we went to a gingerbread house-making party. I let Freya go because it was a seven-year-old's birthday party, a dear friend of ours. Um, So, you know, she kind of had to go. And I went to supervise Freya. And even sitting right next to her, she managed to get quite a bit of candy in her mouth. Usually it was when I looked away to talk to an adult or get up to get water or something. And granted, the other kids were openly shoving candy into their faces. But again, this is not something we can allow Freya to ever do. So as we were walking home from our friend's house from the party, Freya kept mentioning how full her belly was. This is not a normal statement for her. We came home and she just kind of passed out for the night. I assume uh, from some sugar high. or sugar high collapse. I don't know. But then she woke up the next morning. She was saying that her belly ached and she was pretty cranky through breakfast. And then she went back to her room and she fell asleep and she slept for most of the day. She got, got up periodically and, and we'd go to the bathroom. She would say that her belly hurt, 
and then she would go back to sleep. For those of you in the PWS world, the Prada Willie world, uh, you might think that I should have rushed her to the ER, but she was using the bathroom and was able to go, so I waited it out. She slept all night, and the next morning felt much better after a trip to the bathroom. But this confirmed for me that it was not a stomach bug, but my inability to keep her from eating too much candy. So I did tell Freya that was the end of our gingerbread making parties. So Freya also had two screaming fits. This is a fairly new thing for her. And I shouldn't say they're screaming fits. I mean, she does do some yelling and is developing this kind of high-pitched scream. Um, but she's not just screaming, but she's saying what she's angry about. So she had two of these on Christmas. One uh, was at our house after we opened presents and had breakfast. I don't even remember what she got mad about, but she got really mad and she started yelling and then she stalked off to her room and fell asleep. So the other fit was at our friend's house during uh, Christmas dinner. We were done eating, but we were still hanging out around the hanging out around the table, and the kids were trying to decide what movie they were going to watch, and they they started arguing about it. Instead of sitting with her and the children to talk through it and try to come up with a solution, I just picked her up and we went outside. And I realized that was perhaps not the best decision, but I was a few glasses of wine in, and honestly, I did not want her to throw a fit like she had in the morning. Um, I didn't want the other kids to see it. And I was afraid that if they did, they would, you know, kind of hold it against her forever. I don't know. So not really knowing what to do, we sat on a chair in the front yard and I held her while she screamed and yelled and told me how angry she was. I was able to be calm for a moment. I tried patience. I tried distraction. And then my uh, general kind of take no shit parenting style kicked in and I told her that everyone in the neighborhood I said see all these houses everyone can hear you screaming and what if they call the cops because they think I'm hurting you and then those cops come and then they take me away yeah I'm sure that many of you are shaking your heads in disgust um I it was not the best parenting moment I mean I wasn't like nasty about it I was just very matter of fact like you're in the front yard screaming as I'm holding you. I didn't want to set her down. I didn't want her to stop. I mean, the road was right there. I didn't want her stalking off into the road. So then I just told her that we were just going to go home, that if she was going to throw a fit like this, that we were just going to go home. And I think that that worked a little bit because we, I got her inside and she did sit in the hallway mad for a bit, but eventually she made her way to the coloring station that we had set up for her and her dad and a friend sat with her and colored for a little bit so the crisis was diverted <sighs> so yeah I'm basically uh, out of the running for mom of the year I I realized that uh, <laughs> I am learning and to be fair we have had a lot of sweet moments also, we've had lovely time spent puzzling, listening to Christmas music, dance parties in the kitchen, coloring and playing cards. You know, it's a balance, you know, and I've heard from quite a few of you that hearing these stories on this podcast help you to realize that you are not alone in this journey, that we were that we are all struggling to figure out what we're doing, that we're living and loving 
fumbling many things and getting some of them right. That is why I wanted to share my holiday stories with you. We do some things right around here and we screw some things up too. We are learning as we go and hopefully not leaving destruction in our wake. I know for many of you, the holidays are now a time of stress and struggles, whether with food issues, sensory issues, family gatherings, not enough time to yourself, everything. But we can all share these stories. So I invite you to email me and share with me your holiday story. So this would not be a full on interview and there would be no recording. So if you've been wanting to share something with this podcast, but are intimidated by the interviews, this is a great way to share. So you can send me your stories of this holiday season or maybe another holiday season that you remember. Send me your stories of what was challenging. What was your biggest struggle? What crappy thing did your auntie say or grandma? What did grandma say? What did they do? Did they hand your kid a bowl full of candy and say, go at it, go to town? I don't know. Did you miss out on a party? Did you not go to some festivities because of uh, not filling up for the challenges that you might face? Or tell me what went well. Did you have a child start to throw a fit, but then you knew what you were doing and you came in and you had a good solution? And you were able to divert it before it went into screaming. Was your child the most well-behaved at the table? Did you have sweet, beautiful moments together? I want to hear those stories too. Whatever you would like to share. I'd love to hear your stories. I'd love to read them. And I would love to share them on the podcast. And it would be a great way for us to open up and get more stories. So you're not just always hearing mine. Um, Yes. Please email me your story or your stories to walkingwithfreya at gmail.com or you can go to the website andfricky.com and you'll find the at the top in the menu bar it says share your story and you can go to that page on my website and there's a form right there. You can just fill in the fill in the details that are required and I'll put links to this in the show notes. Um, or you can get on the Facebook group and share your story there and I, and I'll read it on the podcast. I think, I think it'll be really cool. I'm excited for this. So yeah, why, why would you share your story? Because we are building a community because when you share your experience, you offer someone else the opportunity to learn or to feel camaraderie. I often feel a bit lighter, even just telling a story or, or owning up to the mistakes that I'm making. And sometimes with the retelling of it, I get a new perspective or I can evaluate what went well and what didn't and how I can be better prepared in the future. So yes, if you feel inspired, please share your story so that others may learn from it or at least so that others may know that they aren't the only ones who held a screaming seven-year-old on their lap in the front yard while everyone else was inside enjoying delicious food and singing karaoke. Was I the only one? Like I said, I'm excited for this. I hope that you all have a story to share. If this works out and I get a good response, then I will continue to do this from time to time. I'll put out a call for specific stories and read them on the podcast so more of you can have a voice. Oh, and did I mention that Freya lost a tooth yesterday? 
and the tooth fairy forgot to come last night. <sighs> yeah, I'm winning at this parenting thing right now. So <laughs> I should wrap this up and go play some play some games, do some puzzling. But uh, just to let you know what this episode is about, this is an extra holiday bonus since I usually only come out every two weeks. I thought I'd put out the talk that I recorded at the local university for the language and communication class and the majority of the students are early childhood educators um, going into specifically special education. So in this, I spoke to them a bit about Prader-Willi syndrome, about phrase development, and then we got into it a bit about the, not got into it like fight, but you know, the conversation, there were, there were questions asked and uh, we got into it about, the conversation got into the parent's perspective and what it is that makes a good therapist. So I do apologize for the recording in some places when people are asking questions, it's, it gets pretty quiet, but I think it's still, you can still hear it and you'll, I mean, it's with the flow of the conversation. I think it's still totally worth the listen and I hope that you do too. Next week, Freya and I will be heading down to UCSF. Yay. Um, but I will be, I will be putting out an episode. I'm just not sure which one yet. Now. Let's take a collective breath. <sighs> this holiday season is coming to a close. I hope that you all have made beautiful memories from this time, even if there were some struggles. And I do look forward to reading your stories, so don't forget to share those if you feel inspired. And, of course, thank you all for being here. And um, it is really healing to tell a story that is hard and that you need to process. So anyway, so I thought um, this this will be a little different than what I talk about on the podcast. So I thought it would be interesting to record it. Okay. So first off, I'm going to tell you a little bit. Um, my daughter Freya has Prader-Willi syndrome. I don't know if any of you have heard of that. So it's... It's not a common disorder that people have heard of, but if you get into the into the world of special needs, um, you know, and especially if you're kind of in a bigger city, you will come across it. You will meet people. So um, yeah, so I just want to run down some of the the characteristics of it. The, it is an abnormality on the 15th chromosome, and it happens in about one in 15,000 people, and it, that is across gender, across race. There is nothing that my husband or I did to cause it to happen. There was nothing, it could happen to anybody. So, <clears throat> sorry, I've been sick for a couple of days. Um, and so I just kind of stress that because we, it was so far, we were so far removed from anything like that, that, that something like that could happen or that we would have, I mean, I'd never even heard of it. So it's, um, there's, it was shocking to <laughs> say that. <laughs> the first time I actually heard it was Freya was about two months old and she had been struggling and we were in the doctor's office and this is how naive my husband and I were the pediatrician suggested that we get genetic testing and my husband and I like the good little humble hippies we were we're like well if it's genetic then there's nothing we can do about it and we'll just love her and you know she'll be who she is <laughs> and then I gotta have since been opened up to the world of early intervention and how important all of all of this everything is to understanding and to taking steps and to being educated 
And the first symptom uh, or first characteristic of broader release syndrome in babies is failure to thrive. And my daughter very much had that. And for the first few weeks, um, I thought she was going to die. And that was a very terrifying situation. And, and I attribute that to, um, you know, when a lot, of t a lot of parents that I speak with, especially when we're talking about our kids, it's a very emotional thing to talk about. And there's a whole backstory of things like, you know, the first two weeks, thinking that your child is going to die, not being sure if they're going to make it. And so all of these things add up. And I'm going to talk more about parents later and, and interactions with them. But um, yeah, so she, so failure to thrive. So she, she wasn't gaining weight. She slept a lot. There were times I couldn't even wake her up. I would have to really jostle her and, and call to her and uh, to try and wake her up. A lot of babies with Prada Willie syndrome end up in the NICU with feeding tubes. And I do wonder if we had been in a bigger place, in a bigger hospital, maybe they would have taken her. Um, but as it was, we went home day after day five and and she made it. It was good, you know. And she was getting constant. I mean, we were going to the doctor. We had midwives coming. And, uh, and hypotonia is also uh, a big part of it, the low muscle tone, which can affect feeding and obviously, you know, gross motor and fine motor, all that stuff later in life. And short stature is an issue, and that is actually the legit on-paper reason why the insurance company pays for her to get growth hormone shots, which is one of the... Um, treatments but so they give it to them for short stature but they're learning that it obviously it helps with their muscle tone which helps with their energy level and they're learning that it helps with their cognitive development and it's a fairly new like the last 10 20 years um, that they've started doing this so it was really hard to get it we had to really fight and so developmental delays gross motor fine motor intellectual delays and then the, so the big characteristic of Prada Willie syndrome, the main one that, that when I say this, people are like, oh, wait, I think I saw a show. There was like a house, a, sh a house remodeling show where they redid a kitchen because the big thing is hyperphagia or um, hyperphagia. It is excessive hunger, which leads to excessive eating. And these kids and adults really need to be supervised around food. Um, locked, food has to be locked away. And it can happen at various stages. They don't come out that way, obviously, um, because they have the failure to thrive. But at some point in their life, it will. They start getting <coughs> obsessed with food. They start having this obsession with food. And so in a school setting, it's actually, you have to really control it. And just, I mean, just yesterday, there was a birthday party at my daughter's class. And this is a Waldorf school. And so it's supposed to be healthy snacks that they bring in and the mom was feeling rushed and I think just picked something up at the store and the teacher who knows Freya and is very sweet and loving just kind of took her eyes off her for a minute and there was part of this pumpkin log sitting on the desk next to Freya so Freya ate hers and then because the kid had left but left the pumpkin log she ate, she ate his also like had, there's no there's no control for her and um and of course, the teacher was telling me this after school, and I was like, oh, you know, frustrated with Frey, but the teacher was so sweet. She said, you know, I'm sorry, that was my bad. Like, I know, I knew this could happen, and I should have been more on it. So anyway, that was just something that happened recently. <laughs> um, so yeah, at home, we have a door in the fridge. We don't keep food out. When mealtime's done, we put 
food away. Freya's not so bad as far as like digging through cabinets and stuff. We don't have all that locked, but um, that is something that if you, if you work with these kids, be very aware of. So they also have a low metabolism, and um, which really adds to the issues of weight. That is the, the big reason these kids uh, pass away early is uh, complications to, uh, because of obesity. And that is one of the beautiful things of the early intervention and the growth hormone is that it helps with all of that. But behavior is also <laughs> an issue and that comes from, uh, I think the intellectual delay, but also um, anxiety. They develop a lot of anxiety and it's usually around food and when the next meal is coming and you know, when, what am I gonna eat? When are we gonna eat it? There's a lot of questions like that. The anxiety comes out in this kind of OCD behavior they do perseveration, a lot of um, asking, talking about the same thing, asking a lot of questions. Um, skin picking is one. My daughter is now getting into that, and it's happening during the main lesson part of the day uh, because I think the work is hard for her and it stresses her out, so then she starts picking her skin. And she herself at seven years old has said, I don't know why I'm doing it. I can't stop. So that is... Um, Something that happens, but the so the anxiety I think is fed by the the hyperphagia and, but it can also um, the anxiety leads to some very disruptive behaviors actually. And so the, the thing with Prader Willi syndrome is that it is a spectrum disorder. Disorder. There's a variety of ways that it can manifest into um, <clears throat> different severities. And my daughter is um, she's doing great. She is mainstreamed in a Waldorf school, and um, she, she loves puzzles, she loves to color, she gets pulled out a couple days a week with a resource teacher, she gets 30 minutes of speech a week, which I think she needs more. <laughs> I, well, I know. I was, I was, Angela was there um, the first meeting and uh, fought for Freya, which was awesome. I'll get to that later. <clears throat> And yeah, so Freya, I mean, Freya's just doing great. And, um, but, you know, there are kids with her disorder that are her age that can't go to the bathroom themselves and they, they aren't talking yet. And I think that that is becoming less the norm with all of the things that they're learning about this disorder and the growth hormone treatments and all of the other therapies that they're really implementing. And um, I realize, you know, I've come, I've come so far from that that mom of a two-month-old who's like, oh, well, if it's genetic, we'll, we'll just love her. We'll take her home and love her. And now I'm like, no, okay, you need a diagnosis. You got to get your specialist team together. You got to know what you're doing. You got to try alternative therapies. You got to try supplements. And if you don't have doctors that uh, are willing to try these supplements and these alternative therapies, then you get a new doctor. Because it really is a blend of Western medicine, alternative therapies, supplements, all of that. All of that has attributed to Freya's success. And um, so I, so Angela asked me to talk a bit about Freya's speech development because it is a language class. Um, and so I did kind of write this part, thinking you guys were all going into speech therapy. So <laughs> I'm just gonna walk around. Oh, cute. So the first time Freya went into um, her first speech therapy appointment, 
was she was probably like eight months old and I that's how I said oh we're going to see the speech therapist and I did not get that she was actually an oral and motor specialist and which was and we did very different things than what I thought we were going to do and this first appointment blew my mind and kind of set the tone for uh, what I realized about development and so we went in there and she looked at Freya sitting maybe Freya was like 11 months old I don't remember but she was a baby. She was barely sitting on her own um, because of the hypotonia. And the, do- and the, the therapist said, um, oh, she's not sitting right. And, if, and so she broke it down for me. She said, if she's not sitting right on her hips, then her shoulders aren't resting on her body right. And if her shoulders aren't resting on her body right, then her head can't be positioned properly, and then her jaw muscles can't work the way that they need to. And she just, like built it all up from the from the ground up and I just sat there like what I thought we were going to go in there and practice letter sounds I didn't know what we, I mean with an 11 month old baby and so that just blew my mind and that was amazing to see and I instantly had so much faith in this woman and so that we saw her for a couple years I believe and there was a lot of uh Working with sound, it was so much working uh, on like chewing, how like the tongue placement, and she had all these little things of like a sponge on the end of a stick, and like touching at different parts of her of her mouth, and trying to stimulate like different like the roof of her mouth because where her tongue was, her tongue kept resting on it, and um, and so we practiced yeah like the chewing. She'd always have these little rice cakes, and um, a lot of like mo. Um, showing like when we practiced an O sound, you know, a lot of uh, drawing the O on the face and, and things like that. And then the animal sounds. And I remember uh, one thing that Freya learned how to meow from our cat. And she barely had a lot of sounds, like even a laugh of hers was really weak, but she could meow exactly like our cat. And it was hilarious. The speech therapist got a kick out of it. So that was for that was a few years of that, and then Freya got to go to preschool, and that's when we got to meet Angela. And although she didn't actually go to preschool, she was still at home, but that was the age. And so we would go to Angela, and then it was it was very different. Then it was very much into the into the speech, into the sounds, and we had a letter. She had a letter book. After a while, that we would do um, do the letters and. You know, it was cool because it was like, you know, she would write the letter and then would say the letter and do the sounds. And so you're bringing in the different kinds. It's not just speech therapy. It's working on fine motor and all that stuff. And there were a lot of games, so it was fun. Freya really enjoyed it. She really liked to go. And I always had my littlest one, Rona, there too. So she always had a partner (laughs) or a distraction. But, um... (laughs) And, uh, and then we used a lot of pictures, a lot of like looking at these pictures and describing them and to get the is and the the and are, which is still in our IEP, still working on that. Um, and then one of the things that I love that Angela had was this big uh, traffic light <coughs> because Freya's voice, she couldn't project her voice, she didn't have a lot of volume. And so Angela had this, this stoplight and like, if you hit, I don't remember how it was, but if you hit the uh, if you hit the right volume, then you would get the red light. Yeah, and you can turn it up to be sensitive to the decibel level. It's mostly used in like classroom management. You turn it up really high, and when the classroom 
environment gets too noisy, the red light goes off, or if it's mild, it, the yellow light goes off and it stays green if it's low level, but you can change the you can change the level of loudness, so I try to make kids make the red light go off to use a stronger voice. Yeah. I yeah. never knew that you liked that so much. I did. Well, it was. I remember <laughs> even downloading like the voice meter app on my phone. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which wasn't as exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, Fre- so now Freya is in school. Like I said, she sees a speech therapist 30 minutes a day. She gets pulled out with the resource teacher. Oh, it's called the CL. CL. Oh, I did. I actually have that written down. I forgot about that. <laughs> One of the funniest times was Freya was working on an L blend. And so Angela was showing her pictures. And the, se- the, fr- the sentence was, I have a... And then here's the picture. And we got to the picture of a clock. And Freya could not get the L sound, but she got everything else. <laughs> so she said it once, and we both looked at each other. And then we kind of giggled a little bit, and then she saw us giggling, and so then she just kept saying it over and over again, and it was hilarious. Work <laughs> uh, is always a good one, too, when they can't say their R's. Yeah. <laughs> I know, there's some good ones. God, they were, she was saying, I can't remember it, but. One of oh. these days I'm going to write a whole book about funny things kids say. <laughs> I feel like there's a song or something that Freya kept trying to sing, and it was something about a freight train, but it just sound, it just doesn't sound like, I don't know. At first I was like, what are they teaching you in school? <laughs> what are you saying? So, um, so I just had Freya's IEP the other day, um, and she's doing great, but now speech has evolved to one of her um well they're still doing the is and the are but that's now it's for conversational because she can do it when it's modeled or when it's there but it's for conversational but also i thought this was interesting um she has a a goal to initiate play because she's very soft-spoken she is not uh always very articulate and so that is one of her speech goals, and it's all about body language and proximity and um, sticking with it. Like, that's the thing. She can go up to a kid and say, do you want to play? But they're either, they don't hear, or they don't, like, they don't slow down enough to pay attention, and they run off, or, or they, they, don't even, they don't hear, and then she'll just stand there and then kind of close off a bit. Also, she, I mean, she is such a talker now. That girl talks so much. And she loves to tell a story. She loves to relay what has happened in her day. And there are times where it's so much talking that I want to say, okay, let's take a break. But then I have to remind myself that there was a time where I wasn't even sure she was going to talk. So, so yeah. So I try and let her just, just go on, and, um, and I try and listen. I don't always understand, and I'm not always... Not, I'm never mean about it, but I'm not. I was like, oh, wait, tell me that again. Sometimes I'm like, I don't understand you when she gets really excited. And I think that I feel like that's okay because I'm her mother and I love her. And I think I also come from a school of, you know, a little tough love every now and then is okay. Because Freya, when she slows down, can make the sounds. When she tries, when she, you know, puts effort into it, she can speak clearer. But sometimes she just kind of, it all mumbles out, and, um, and so then I just call her to it. 
So that, okay, so that's Prada Release Syndrome. That is uh, Freya's development thus far. Does anybody have any questions about anything? So uh, obviously our medical care in the area is pretty limited. Do, did you have to travel out of the area a lot for like <laughs> testing or type of like therapy treatment things? Yeah, we go down to UCSF um, twice a year at least because she sees a endocrinolo an endocrinologist for her growth hormone um, and she also sees a, an ophthalmologist down there and in the beginning it was really frustrating and um, there wasn't a physical therapist that could work with children we ended up getting someone who I can I was going to talk about that later who like you know it's great at what he does I'm sure with adults but not not so much with Freya um, so yeah, it was that was a struggle. That was really hard finding, um, getting a therapist, having to wait so long for certain therapists. And um, she, thankfully for her, the medical issue, like the the medical stuff, is not too much of an issue. And and every parent I know around here who has a kid with special needs goes to San Francisco. It's just it's what we do. This is kind of backpacking, but. I know you said she's improved a lot, and it kind of like sounds like it from what you said, but when you said that she was picking her skin and she was like, I don't know why I'm doing this, did that kind of like show the chord in me? Like, how, did, how does she feel at school? Like, do people like ask questions to her, like, and things like that, you know? Like, how, how do you all like feel and handle it? Yeah, um, well, she, she went there last year, so she's with some of the same kids. And some, there's definitely the kids in the class that I feel very safe with her, that are, have always been very kind and very sweet and attentive. Um, my best friend's daughter is also in the class and we've known each other for years and years. And so actually her daughter, she's kind of raised her as like, okay, you gotta look out for Freya, like, uh, which I think is sweet. And uh, you know, there's definitely some kids that, um, you know, I, th I don't know that anybody's ever outright mean to her it's a pretty it's a pretty safe environment like i said it's a waldorf school i mean it's a public school but it's it's a small waldorf school and um and so i go um they do a nature walk every week i go on the nature walk and I, it's kind of my time to like look around and observe like okay who's being nice and there's you know there's some issues come up but i trust the teachers i trust the aide that's in the class um but yeah that is my I would say that's my biggest concern. And uh, I don't know, I mean, when I, it's something that I still struggle with, like is she in the right environment as far as like peers? And you know, would she be, but she's so, the thing is, is that, here's the thing. <laughs> she's in that, in that zone of, she passes a lot of the, the tests. So like she can never get into Glen Paul I'm sure you guys know what Glen Paul is. She can never get into Glen Paul. There's certain services that she hasn't gotten because she's done so well. But she's also not yeah. doing that. What she's not like she's not where her peers are academically or socially. Yeah, but she does well enough. So I don't know. It's just it's something that we just have to constantly reevaluate and yeah, one of the one of the hardest things because honestly, and actually at the IEP, I was more concerned. I wanted to talk more about like safety and peers because academically, you know, she is who she is, and we and we work on it. And she's, 
you know, I, I, one of the defining or one of a big moment for me was, um, Freya was two years old and she was sitting on the floor and she had these strings that she loved to play with and she was pulling them out and folding them up and putting them in a pile, folding them up, putting them in a pile. And I'm making dinner. I got Billy Holiday playing and I'm like, I'm frying up some dinner or whatever. And I'm just, you know, have a glass of wine. And I just look over at Freya and I realized that up until that point, I had been living the state of, okay, well, I got to make sure I get the right therapies, the right supplements. We got to catch her up. Like we have to get her up to speed. And at some point, and it, I realized that it, I had this thought that at some point we were, she was going to catch up and then it was all going to be fine. And so that for whatever reason about that moment, looking at Freya, I was like, oh, wow. Like, no, she's always... She's always going to be on her own time. She's always going to be at her own pace. She's always going to be okay with special needs. And uh, and it was very liberating, actually, to realize that. Um, but I do, I do think that she's capable of a lot of things, so I feel good about her being mainstreamed for now. But because I mean, it sounds like she's like able to like Prader-Willi syndrome. to get three word sentences in the beginning and that was like three yeah. I did sign language with her too um, which is I mean I did that with all of my kids and uh, so yeah I, th- I mean she was definitely um, I mean, she was definitely older well from three to five you know we worked on a lot of um, increasing her sentence <coughs> with number of words right getting mm-hmm three meaningful combinations, five meaningful combinations, going back to, you know, two years old, two word combinations, three years old, three words, subject, verb, object. But again, a lot of the prepositions, in, on, under, behind, articles, we worked on every time, a, there, the, train. And we're still working on that. Verb plus ing, verb plus past tense ed, plural s's. We were, all of those Brown's morphemes we were working on from three to five years old. Mm-hmm. The is, are, was, were, phonological awareness. F, oh. V articulation, we did that for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know there's a lot of 
stuff um, to do with hormones. I know you mentioned a growth mm-hmm. hormone. Um, so, like, with, I don't know if that has to do with, like, the overeating. Do they have any theories as to why with this particular syndrome that happens? Or uh, It's uh, something with the hypothalamus, but they don't okay. understand it, unfortunately. That's, yeah. like, the one thing. And there's a lot of research going on. It's a great community, and there's a lot of people working on it. But, um, yeah, they don't, they haven't pinned that one down yet. So, interesting. yeah, the growth hormone, like I said, they started prescribing it for a short stature, and now they're right. seeing that it's affecting their cognitive development and um, in, in a positive way. So, but they're working on, like, everything that they have, as far as I know, um, in the research that they're doing, they're doing, like, oxytocin studies. They're um, now working with CBD. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just more for, like, anxiety, but they're finding that if they can kind of control the anxiety a little bit that 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 can also affect that um that food drive I think that it doesn't affect how they feel because they never feel full Mm -hmm. um but it can affect like that perseveration maybe of the like where's the food and and then once um um I don't know if this would relate but like um once uh she hits puberty is there any like um complications with hormones or anything like that with the syndrome so I know that, so I haven't gotten there. Like the big right. thing that they tell you when you have a kid with this disorder is that don't look ahead. Like okay. that is their big thing. Like don't do research, don't get on the internet, like know the age, the stage that you're at because it can be very overwhelming. I know that there is an issue with uh, puberty, especially in boys. I know that they're very much, or the insurance company is gonna try and stop growth hormone once she stops growing and that. Um, thankfully, there is an amazing specialist in the Prada Willie world who lives in Florida, and she has like over 400 patients. The last time I heard, she sees people from around the world. This woman is amazing, and she fights for our kids, and she fights for growth hormone for the rest of their life. And um, but the insurance company has to catch up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think I answered your question. Puberty. I don't know too much about puberty right now, but so. Why do they give you so much trouble? Like, it's obvious that these kids, like, need this help and everything like that. Like, I feel like, I know in reality, like, things are hard to get. Like, it's even hard for me to get ADHD medication. Like, they mm-hmm. give me trouble every time I go to the pharmacy. But, like, that's just kind of ridiculous. Like, when you can see that a growth hormone is, like, benefiting someone. Well, the thing is, is that when this was seven years ago, six years ago, well, seven, I guess, um, they're incredibly expensive. So the insurance company is, is putting a lot on, you know, they want to know that it's all legit. Um, when they first started doing growth hormone in these kids, there were some fatalities. And so they had to really understand why. Um, sleep apnea is a, is a problem. And they were finding that uh, kids, what was happening was that their tonsils and their adenoids were growing very quickly and they were essentially suffocating in their sleep. So there was a lot of, um, you know, kind of steps to go through with sleep studies. And you had asked about that. We had to go down to UCSF for all the sleep studies and, um, and to get the monitor, which I, or the CPAP machine, which I ended up not using. And that was a very, um, that's a whole other lecture. <laughs> it's a whole other story. But um, she's never had a problem on growth hormone. But yeah, so because of those, I think because of those early fatalities, they really, 
wanted to be sure that they were what they were doing was okay. And then, of course, when the insurance company gets in and they're like, wait, you want me to pay $40,000 a year for these shots? I really, they really want to know why and they really want to make sure that they're doing it for the right reasons. And then there's also, and if, and if that Florida doctor was in here, I mean, she'd have amazing information that would not be different, but a different look at than like the doctors at UCSF that prescribe the the, the um, growth hormone. You know, when they're looking at brain development and growth hormone and the and the um, side effects, because then there's this whole level. She gets her blood tested every six months of her growth hormone level, and there's a way to read that information that they look at it one way and the specialist looks at it another way, and they disagree. Yeah. <laughs> And what do I know? I'm just the mom. Like I don't know. Anything about. <laughs> You're just there every day watching her, you know. Her. Yeah. It seems like a lot of parents of um, children with various disorders or other things are often kind of looked not necessarily like looked down upon, but it can definitely feel like doctors are kind of condescending towards you. Like mm-hmm. you just said, like I'm just the mom. You know, right. How do you have you felt that in being an advocate for your child? And um, what about like a community of other parents of children with the same disorder? So I am blessed that the Prada community is huge and they're very on it. They have a Prada California Foundation. They have a national organization. They have an organization um, for fundraising for the research. And they all, they're all, um, you know, there's a lot of fluidity between them. There's a lot of information sharing. They, as soon as you get a diagnosis, um, they sign you up. They send you information packets. They, um, they. I was. I even had somebody from the foundation call me, and and had a conversation with me. They're very. It's a really beautiful community. Like they're very active, very um, open with their information. And there's always a number you can call if you need an advocate. They're very big about that. Um, if you have questions, like if you're, um, because there are medical emergencies that come up with these kids um, often enough. And so they have people on hand for, uh, they have people on hand to, to um, answer questions and to be an advocate for you. Um, so yeah, I didn't even get to the, <laughs> to the being a parent part, but that kind of goes into it. Um, about, you know, the reasons why, as, you know, working with these kids, why it is important to be supportive of these kids and the parents also, is that especially if you're working with young children, um, you know, you may see these, if you're, if you're doing, uh, well, I was thinking more of like as, as a therapist, but if you're working with these kids, you know, you get a little bit of time with them and then they go home. And so it's really crucial that the parent is on board with what you're doing and that they know. And that's one of the things that I want to stress is like, I went into this as a college educated woman. I homeschooled my kids. I was very active. I had all of um, the, the resources and the access to what I needed. And I still, there was so much that I didn't know because I didn't study child development. I didn't, you know, I, I'd never dealt uh, with anyone with special needs. And so there was so much that I didn't know. So um, to have a therapist working with my child and be very clear about the steps that they were doing, what they were teaching them, and why they were teaching them was really important to me understanding what was happening and being able to go home and work with my daughter on that. Um, (coughs) 
And uh, another thing that I want to say is that you guys, if you're if you're making a point to go into special education, and we know that you guys are a safe space. So, <sighs> you know, and that's been one of the more terrifying things of putting my daughter in a mainstream school. Is that was at the beginning. I was like, well, these people did not choose to work with children like my daughter, who is more difficult in some ways. And so to have, I mean, the relief of, of knowing like they were going to see the therapist or, you know, we're going to see the special education teacher. Like that's all, like you guys are a safe space because you've chosen to work with our children. And so we feel safer with you than we do in a lot of places and with a lot of other adults. And so I just think that that is something to keep in mind because it's an, it's an honor and uh, it's, also, there's um, a fragility there, maybe, or a vulnerability, and uh, so yeah, it's you're greatly appreciated, more than you know. And I have on here to talk about the parents' emotions and state of mind, but as you can see, <laughs> we're all like, you know, we. I mean, like I have a we have a beautiful, happy life, and she's do doing so well, but. It's, it, there's so much emotion there. Like we have worked so hard and, and so much is, is tenuous that it's, um, it can be, feel a little uh, fragile sometimes. So um, I wanted to say, is there anything else I want to, I was wanted to talk about like what, what I would think makes a good therapist from the parent's perspective. So I said, okay, so being someone who will listen to the parent and uh, listen to if they're talking about therapies that you've never heard of, something they want to try, if they're talking about other therapies that their kid is doing. Um, knowing, that, knowing the kid's diagnosis, I understand that there's a variety of diagnoses out there and you can't know everything, but if you get a file and you have a kid coming in that's got Prader-Willi syndrome, you're like, oh, I've never heard of that. Do a basic search so that I'm not spending my time educating you because First off, if I talk about it, I'm probably gonna cry, and then I'm gonna feel weird, and then, <laughs> and uh, you know, so it's just maybe know like know the basics of 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 the child that is coming in, listen to the parent, and it's beautiful to have like when a therapist or a teacher has a connection with a child. Obviously, we want um, you guys to have a connection with our child, and I know that you're not gonna have a connection with everybody. But um, even just like a little thing of knowing that they have a dog and when they come in, like, oh, how's your dog today? You know, just some kind of like personal connection to, to um, you know, just lighten it a bit, I guess. Um, being open to alternative therapies, uh, advocating for the child. That was one of the things that um, we didn't get to talk to yet. But uh, Angela came with me to Freya's first meeting at, at the Waldorf School and um, I was so nervous, and up up to that point, like she, every we would talk about it, and she was always willing to talk about it, and she would always remind me, Annie, you, you know, you, you have your rights, like this is what she uh, deserves, this is what she can get, and just kind of kept pumping me up, and I talked to her about it, I was like, I'm probably gonna cry, and she said, that's okay, you can cry, <laughs> and she was there, and um, they, they offered a certain amount of speech, and in my head, I was like, well, I don't know if that's enough, but I was too intimidated to say anything, and Angela said, well, very nicely, I don't think that that's enough, and I recommend this. <laughs> so, you know, just like, it's so, 
it's like it really does take I mean it takes a village for anything but especially if you're raising a kid with special needs because so much of it is you don't know it's all new Oh, no, I mean, I feel like I'm, would you guys, do you guys want to hear my poem? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's not my only poem. I have numerous ones, but this is about Freya. Um, so the, the Japanese art of kintsugi, which is where you take broken pieces of pottery and you glue them back together using gold or glue. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but that's the name of this, kintsugi. And it's dedicated to special needs parents. <clears throat> like veterans home from a brutal war, we seek each other out. Because ours is a truth that few understand. What it feels like to hear that your child is broken. To hold them and feel a life force so weak you fear their death. To sit in a sterilized room with a stranger telling you who your child will be based on one tiny, minuscule deletion of their DNA and then to be cast adrift onto a turbulent sea of fear and doubt and know that you must hoist the sails and guide this vessel home despite your ignorance of the prevailing winds. We have lived through the battle of having our child's future shattered in that one blazing moment of diagnosis. Our shock-filled eyes slowly registering the shimmering glass-like fragments scattered about our feet, tears mixing with blood seeping from wounds suffered in the explosion wounds becoming scars there to remind us always of this moment. And we have lived through the aftermath and the undeniable knowledge that it is now our job to pick up the pieces one by one, fit them imperfectly back together, bind them with gold and glue, determination, tears, and small triumphs so that our child's future is now a work of art, a sculpture of love to show them they have a place in this world. As my daughter and I walk the halls and the myriad of doctors and specialists, I see the new parents with their babies. The shock, the sorrow, the worry etched deep into the lines of their faces as we step carefully amongst the broken shards of their child's future. And I want to tell them of my daughter and her life, the way the sunlight is refracted so beautifully off of the pieces that we have found together. But there are no words for that sorrow, no words that do not sound empty. So instead, I smile and let my soulful daughter go to them and look upon their baby with the sincere, open delight that brings people to love her so easily. I smile and hope that they see what I see, the beauty of the perfect imperfections of someone who was never, never truly broken. So thank you. <laughs> So the first night Annie invited me to poetry night, I knew nothing about it. And I come as Freya's speech therapist to poetry night. And she gets up and she recites that poem. And I lost my shit. <laughs> I lost it. I'm but so every good. time, I've heard it a million times, but every time. Yes. I want to ask a favor. Are you finding these stories helpful? Are you finding comfort in knowing that you are not alone on your journey? That we all experience frustrations and grief and confusion along with the joys and the laughter and the smiles? 
Can you help me spread the word so that others can be a part of this community we are creating? So they too can have the opportunity to find acceptance, inspiration, comfort, and connection through these stories. In your community, your special needs community, can you share this podcast? Is there an episode that really speaks to you? Or perhaps discusses an issue you know a friend or peer is grappling with? Send them the link to the episode. Tell them how to find it. I am sharing the word on Instagram and Facebook and in my special needs community, but I need your help also. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. It's one press of a button, and that will be sure that you get the newest episodes as they come out, along with getting this podcast higher on the charts. Please rate the podcast and leave a review. This also helps get the podcast noticed by more people, some of whom may really need to hear these stories. And also remember that if you would like to share your story, you can email me at walkingwithfreya at gmail.com. Get in touch with me, let me know that you want to share it, and we will figure out how we can do that. I really and truly believe in what it is that I am doing here. I know what benefits can come from sharing our stories, our own reflection, a deeper understanding of our journey, an acceptance, a newfound hope, movement through the grief, connections, and compassion. All of these are such positive aspects that we gain when we share our stories, when we listen to others share theirs, and we become a part of this community. So thank you for your help in getting this podcast out into the world. Thank you for listening to my story. Thank you for sharing your story. And thanks for being a part of this special needs community. Because we all need each other. Thanks for being here.